Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with AMD, your high state podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landis, joined by the freshly engaged Ari Wasserman. Ari, she said yes? She said maybe, and then it turned into a yes after the night went on. Uh, the engagement was funny because uh, I did a surprise and had a bunch of our friends in like a waiting room area, and she was like the hardest person in the world to surprise uh, because if I tell her where we're going to dinner or we're going on a walk or whatever it is, there's going to be an opinion. So I had to like do it in our living room so that I could preserve the surprise party where people flew in and, and were waiting for us. And she had her hand in a bowl of like keto brownie mix. And I got down on one knee and she goes, really? Right now? <laughs> and I don't know if that's like the uh, the typical response for most people, but the, the, the engagement uh, was a success. The party was success, and it was an awesome, awesome weekend. Thanks for bringing it up. Yeah, um, I was, I, I, you know, I knew, I knew it was coming, but uh, I was very happy to yeah. to, uh, to see that that it all went well for you. It looked like a fun time. Very yeah. happy for you. Would you like to spend the next hour talking about uh, marriage and home ownership and how much your life is going to change now? Or would you rather talk about Ohio State football? We're in the middle of trying to close on a house, and I don't even know if that's the right the right terminology. We. Our offer was accepted uh, Wednesday morning, five, like 15 minutes before this podcast nice. starts, if you want to know where my priorities are. And now uh, I have to have a probe of every single dollar I've ever spent. So I hope they're really ex- excited to take a look at how much I've gone to McDonald's to see if I'm good enough to be a homeowner. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I'm 
kind of stressed, but, uh, you know, that's life, man. And here we are. And the one question I asked Andy, and I want to ask you, how many times can somebody say you outkicked your coverage before it becomes insulting? Oh, yeah. Like, like is that becomes- like a compliment? I felt like bad. I don't think so. I don't think it is. Like, I mean, it's. I, I suppose it's a nice thing to say, that, but uh, yeah, I don't think it takes very much before it becomes insulting. Yeah, literally every <laughs> single person that said something like that that wasn't a friend or a family member said that, except you. I appreciate yeah. it. But you know what? You know like, what? I, she kicked her coverage. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I know that like I've got a weight journey and I'm in the middle of a weight journey, but like I don't think I'm ugly. Like, I mean, what? It's a handsome man I'm talking to. Yeah, yeah, you're the more handsome one of this of this podcast, but you know, a lot happening and spring football is more important than all of it. So, <laughs> okay, I guess, go I guess we'll talk. To, should we just keep complimenting each other about how handsome we are, or talk about Ohio yeah. State? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk about Ohio State. Some some news off the top. The Big Ten announced on Wednesday morning that the conference for the remainder. Of the 2020-2021 calendar year, um, attendance policies are going to be left up to local health guidelines. And that starts like now with all the spring sports that are happening. It also includes spring football. So that's a big deal. That's a step in a direction toward more normal- normalcy for the Big Ten. Some of the stuff's been happening in other conferences for the entire year. Uh, but obviously the Big Ten didn't have much in the way of fan attendance during last football season. Sounds like that's going to change. Um, as it pertains to Ohio uh, right now, the the state orders are thirty percent capacity for outdoor venues. So, in theory, Ohio State could have thirty percent capacity for the spring game. I don't know if they actually will. The last time we talked with Gene Smith about that, um, he said that the spring game was not going to be a ticketed event. Like they weren't going to have um, a public sale for that. They were going to have maybe some frontline workers, um, medical workers, bus drivers, stuff like that, maybe attend, and, and and also some player families. Now that could change, but that's kind of where we are with Ohio State spring game. So I wouldn't go running and thinking you can get some tickets to go watch the Buckeyes play in Ohio Stadium on April 17th just yet. But I do think it's possible. But even if that's not possible, Ari, it does feel like ever so slowly we're creeping back toward a little bit of of normalcy as it pertains to college sports specifically. Yeah, you got your vaccine. I got approved for a vaccine on Thursday. I'm getting mine on Uh, Thursday. Yeah, but I had to say no because I'm going to Arizona to celebrate my mom's 60th birthday. So... Mm. I guess I'm just going to have to reschedule it. I hope I get back on the list. But, yeah, I mean, it feels like every week that goes by, we're inching closer and closer to normalcy. Uh, There are fans in the stands to some degree at the NCAA tournament. There was an NCAA tournament. Um, If if college football could figure out a way to complete a season last year, I I think that the idea of this being 85% good in the current climate, hopefully numbers will continue to decline. We have a better understanding of how to – uh, treat and mitigate and handle breakouts in, in in isolated instances of the virus. And again, not a medical doctor, but all the things seem to be headed in the right direction. And it also seems, too, that we're pretty close to the, the dead period in the NCAA uh, mm-hmm. recruiting front to be lifted here. And once that happens, then things will really start to feel normal. I went to an Under Armour camp in Dallas uh, last weekend, talked to recruits in person for the first time in more than a year. Um, Went and visited Caleb Burton, which I think is an important thing to discuss because it's going to run on Thursday, March 25th. thought that story came out pretty cool, and I was able to hang out with him and his dad at their high school. Um, and these are things that we weren't able to do uh, the last year, and it kind of brings some appreciation back to the idea that, hey, 
you know, these stories are more accessible, the games are going to be more accessible, the fan experience is going to be improved, uh, and, you know, God knows what it's going to look like in August, but, you know, I do think that there's going to be Ohio State football fans in Ohio Stadium in the fall to some degree. Yeah, so do I. I'm I'm going to uh, the Under Armour camp that's happening here in Ohio, in Columbus, on April 11th. I'm excited about that, too. There should be some... Have they released a list of that one yet? No, not yet, but I would imagine that there'll be a pretty good list of... uh, of players there um, with Ohio State offers, guys who are already committed to Ohio State. So I'm excited to go see those guys in person. Like you said, I, I, I think I've talked to like two people in person over the last year um, for two stories. So And one was on a treadmill. And one of them was on – no, it was on an elliptical. Elliptical, Ke- Keont- yeah. <laughs> Keontae Goodwin, go read that story, theathletic.com slash 4-6. You can sign up for a dollar. One dollar per month, theathletic.com slash 4-6. Go read about Keontae Goodwin. And everything else that's written at The Athletic, including – Two stories that published on Tuesday from uh, Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman, ranking their top 25 coaches in college football. And Ryan Day was on the list this time. He was not on the list last year because he was not eligible as, as a coach who had only been coaching for one year. But after two years, he's on this list. His placement, I think, uh, might have ruffled some feathers. Uh, so we're going to talk about that and maybe where we where we would rank Ryan Day. And then obviously Ohio State's in spring football right now. So we'll talk about some takeaways that we've gotten um, over this past week. Ohio State has had two practices in the books as we're talking right now on Wednesday morning. They're wrapping up practice number three. It was first practice in pads. First spring practice in pads since March of 2019 because they did not get to the padded portion of practice last year before things got shut down. So Wednesday's a big day of practice for the Buckeyes. So we'll talk about that in just a bit. But first, all right, coaches. Uh, Stu had Ryan Day fifth. Bruce had Ryan Day eighth. Where would you have him? I would probably have him fifth. Um, and I think that the biggest thing that people are kind of upset about, maybe fourth, but it's a direct comparison between Day and Riley. Because Riley, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma has been a fixture atop of these lists, and people would make the par- com- the comparison of the parallel that Lincoln Riley also took over for a legend. And Ryan Day has done something that a few of the guys in front of him haven't done, and that's played in a national championship game. He's lost two games uh, during his Ohio State tenure. Uh, the second year was only six games, and... Uh, but whatever, both losses came in the playoff. One came in the national championship to maybe the best team in the last decade. So, in terms of that, the recruiting results too are are also indicative of who's who I would maybe put in the top three. Um, but I also understand the idea of uh, when you're ranking coaches, it's not just as simple as well look at his record the last two years and and be done with it. Now, I guess before we get into that spiel, maybe we'll ask you where where you would pick. But the way I would do this list is if you were starting a program from scratch, which coach would you take to start that program? Because each coach has different circumstances, different geography, different challenges, um, different expectations, and it's hard to like make a fine line. So I think I would obviously take Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney right now over Ryan Day. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that if you think you would take Ryan Day over Dabo, you're an Ohio State fan, and that's not fair. I mean, what Dabo – I mean, I think you can make a case that Dabo's been the most successful coach, even more so than Nick Saban the past 10 years because he also built that place from a middle-tier program into a perennial powerhouse. Now, obviously, Nick Saban has 1.9 million national championships, and maybe he just belongs in a plane of his own. But from a building standpoint, I think Dabo is probably the most successful 
coach. And, and I guess Nick Saban, to a certain degree, built Alabama back sure. up because it wasn't, yeah. you know, I, I'm not trying to take it. I just am trying to find a way to take Nick Saban out of the discussion because it's so clear and obvious that he's number one. Right. Um, and then you get into a bunch of names like Brian Kelly, Lincoln Riley, Kirby Smart, uh, Jimbo Fisher, and Ed Orgeron. These are the other coaches that are in that mix. And I'm not necessarily sure I would take any of those guys over Ryan Day. So I think that you could make the case for him being third. Now, Jimbo Fisher, I think, is a very interesting... I mean, sorry, Kirby Smart, not Jimbo Fisher. Kirby Smart is an interesting situation because he's recruiting his ass off. (laughs) And he's also been to a national championship game and plays in the hardest conference in the country. So I think Ohio State and Georgia are similar in in the sense that they're both built to win national championships, and neither of them have done it in the past five years. Um, But what Ryan Day has been able to do at Ohio State from a recruiting results standpoint, which I put a lot of emphasis on in this list, and a results standpoint on the field, um, I think you could make the case that he belongs at number three or number four at the lowest. But I also understand putting him lower because he hasn't been around long enough. I mean, this is the first year that both of them even said that he was qualified to be ranked. So, I mean, it's a little by little, right? And, and being number eight on the list, that caused everybody to freak out. It's just like perspective is important here, guys. Yeah, I mean, he's 23-2 and two <clears throat> as a head coach, uh, a record that I don't believe includes the three games he took over for Urban Meyer. Um, so the sample size here is, is exceedingly small and makes it very difficult. Um, but if, And you have to project. You have to sort of project and then take – what all these other guys in the conversation have done with mar- much larger bodies of work and, and maybe try to extrapolate what Ryan Day might do over a larger body of work. And I think we can do that. I feel pretty comfortable about having Ryan Day. Like, f- I-, I can get the third. I think I can get the third pretty easily. I think at worst, like, fourth. I don't think fifth. I- I- Honestly, the only the only two I even consider to put over him, I think, are Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly. Um, and he and Lincoln Riley, in my mind, are very similar. And Lincoln Riley's been doing it, um, I guess, a little bit longer. But like, and the program that Lincoln Riley took over for wasn't nearly as built as Ohio State was, too, which also has to be taken into account. It wasn't, but Oklahoma was still pretty good. And I do think, in, in this discussion, sometimes like Lincoln Riley gets some credit for helping turn Oklahoma around as an offensive coordinator, which is fair. But I don't understand why Ryan Day doesn't kind of get the same credit because Ohio State's offense was terrible before he got there. Now it was him and Kevin Wilson working as co-coordinators, but they did a pretty decent turnaround job with Ohio State's offense. I thought when they came in in 2017, and Ryan Day has just sort of been building um, from there. So I, even then, I think that kind of puts them on similar footing with Lincoln Riley. And Ryan Day beat Clemson in a playoff game, and Lincoln Riley's gone to the playoff and got his ass kicked. So I don't know. I I, I like Lincoln Riley a lot. Um, I don't. I think like if I were an NFL coach, I'd like to hire Lincoln Riley or an NFL G, or GM or owner. I'd like to hire Lincoln Riley. Um, but I think I take Ryan Day ahead of him. And Brian Kelly, I give a lot of credit to for kind of having to revamp things. And he was kind of on his last legs, and he turned it around. And he wins ten games a year a lot, which is not a, a, a terribly easy thing to do at Notre Dame considering the schedule they play. So I think he's a solid coach as well. But um. I think I'd still take Ryan Day. And and the thing that's hard with him is is Ohio State's a monster. He inherited a machine. But if you're close to it and and analyze it the way that you and I can, I think there are tangible ways that he's made it better. And especially on the recruiting front. Like so he, somehow he took Urban Meyer's recruiting and enhanced it, which is like if you would have said that coming into it, you'd be like, How the hell did he do that? How is that possible? But he did it. Right. So the fact that he's been able to do that too. Um, makes me a little bit more of a believer in him. So I wouldn't put him ahead of Saban or Swinney, but but I think he is pretty solidly number three in my mind. 
Yeah, and I think the question that would be an interesting way to phrase this is, what do you think these other coaches that were comparing Ryan Day to would do if they were Ohio State's coach? Because I think that you could also yeah. – the, the reason why this list is tough is Ohio State is clearly at least the number three program in college football, just in general. And he walked into a situation where his first team was the matured version of 2017 class, which was Urban's best class at Ohio State. Yep. And I think success and the draft picks that they've they've put into the NFL and the assistance by and large being the same assistance that worked under Urban um, all kind of helps you – believe in Ryan Day. And it's like Brian Kelly has taken Notre Dame to the playoff multiple times and has turned Cincinnati around and seems to be like a really, really good coach. But it's like you could also say Notre Dame is leaps and bounds worse of a program than Ohio State is right now. And it's like how much of that do you put on the coach? How much of that is circumstance? And and if you flipped the script and put Ryan in Notre Dame with their academic institution and their standards – um, their their situation with you know being outside of a conference except for this past year, and you put Brian Kelly into Ohio State where they get the pick of the litter in Ohio and are a national brand that can now recruit five star receivers from Austin like they're five minutes away. I think that like perspective or context of where these guys are coaching also has to take into account because it's like I saw that Matt Campbell was number nine uh, on Feldman's list and I don't know where I, number ten on. Um, Stu's list, and I think Matt Campbell, with what he had at Iowa State when he got there and what he had on the roster this past year and pushing Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game, is probably, outside of what Saban did, the best job anybody did in college football last year. So, I mean, it's like hard to separate. It's hard to separate coaches and programs because they're synonymous with each other, but I also think that programs have to take into account a little bit of why that person's having success or isn't isn't winning a national title because winning a national championship at Notre Dame is infinitely harder than winning a national championship at Ohio State. For I sure. think you can make the case. Yep. And, you know, you also could say that Notre Dame has a shorter leash to get into the playoff because when they don't have a conference championship game, when they have a loss, they're usually the outside looking in. Now, they don't have to play a conference championship game, which means it's one less game they have to win. But, you know, Ohio State in, in certain years has to play Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan, and the Big Ten West winner like five out of six weeks sometimes. And, like, that is, like, really tough. But recruiting has to be a thing. And if Ryan Day and Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are the three best recruiters and Dabo to a certain extent because he's the best talent evaluator, like, I think those would be my top four, and I would probably put Lincoln Riley below because, yes, he's recruited the quarterback position better than anybody. He's taken the transfer portal and made it his own. Um, Oklahoma has been the dominant team in the Big 12 despite being less talented to a certain extent than Texas. He's done a, a tremendous job, but Oklahoma still isn't in the same category from a recruiting standpoint either as the other four guys. Could they be? Uh, part of the part of my calculus with this is I'm thinking about is like who's maximizing their program. Um, and like Saban and Dabo obviously are. I think Ryan Day's pretty close, but you know they he doesn't they don't have a national title ring yet. In Ohio State's a program that can win national titles. If he so wins one national championship in the next three years, I think, and at the uh, end of the fifth year, you could say he maximized it. Yeah, for sure. Um, like whether or not Brian Kelly's maximized Notre Dame right now, I think is an interesting conversation, and I think it's possible that Lincoln Riley has maximized Oklahoma in this current landscape. I don't know that he's maximized Oklahoma. I think their offense typically is good enough to win a national championship. I think he's probably 
four defensive commitments a year away from fielding a legitimate national title contender. Yeah. Because if you go look at their classes, they've got – I mean, I will go pull up their 2021 class right now. Yeah, but off the top of my head, they have like five top 50 offensive players. And they have the best quarterback in the 2021 class signed. And, you know, the, the offensive firepower has always been there. And, of course, Lincoln Riley's strength is drawing up um, an offensive game plan that converts to poetry. But they just have never had the defensive guys. And, you know, why that's the case I think is an interesting discussion. But I don't think Oklahoma reaching the playoff and getting its doors blown off is 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 the ceiling. I think Oklahoma playing for a national championship and losing by two scores or less to Alabama is their ceiling. Yeah. Or if Alabama takes a step back or Saban. I, I think Oklahoma could win a national championship with what it's currently doing right now. The problem is that the beasts of the sport have advanced so high. But I just don't know based on uh, the recruiting rankings, A, how long this can continue with these three programs, Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama, and whether or not Oklahoma can match that or they have to wait for that to come down. Yeah, I don't know either. I, I just think I'm not I don't, I'm not enough of an expert in what Oklahoma has been historically and what it can be to say whether or not he's maximized it there, but I kind of feel like maybe they're there. Although maybe they have, you could argue they haven't taken enough advantage of the fact that Texas has been down for so long. I think that could be fair too. Um, but st- when's the last time Texas won the Big 12? Like nine years ago or something? Yeah. You know, or a super long time ago? So, I mean, I think you could say that they are the the premier team of their conference. So, and when that conference is relied on Texas talent to boost the entire conference and your team is not in that state, I think that's a pretty tremendous thing to do. And I know Oklahoma historically has probably been more successful than Texas for the last hundred years. And maybe that has to take into account at some point. But, you know, Lincoln Riley, for his age and his ability, I think has done a really good job of making that program what it is. Now, the problem is, is that in the current landscape of the sport, if you're a team that's on the cusp of of winning a national championship, you're now directly then compared to Oklahoma, Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. And if you – did I say Oklahoma? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. So, and if you can't compare to Alabama, then there's always going to be like, well, are you maximizing – but like Alabama, as you've put me in my place many times on this podcast, is almost an outlier. It's like who else is going to do that? Ohio State – was built as best as a team possibly could last year with a transitional with a potential top five quarterback uh, pick in the NFL draft, and they got their doors blown off. So it's like when you start thinking of like the gap between Bama and the rest of these teams, I don't even know if it's a fair litmus test. So you know, Dabo built something. I, I think that like honestly, outside of Saban, I think Dabo's clear number two, and then I think you could make the case for Ryan Day at number three, but I definitely would have him in the top five. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I would have him in the top five as well, and I think you can make compelling arguments for Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley ahead of him. I don't know about Kirby Smart. I don't think he can. Uh, and so Bruce's list, and like Bruce isn't on the show, so like we don't need to tear Bruce's list apart. But I'm just curious what, and God knows Bruce Feldman knows more about football than you and I do. He's been covering it forever. Um, James Franklin ahead of Ryan Day is a little bit of a head scratcher to me. Yeah, I mean, I think too. These lists are tough. Because I listened to their show last year on on the Audible about it, and they take the entire body of work into, into account. Yep. So I think when, and I don't want to speak for Bruce, but I think when he puts James Franklin in at that spot, he's also taking into account that at Vanderbilt they had like back to back nine or ten win seasons, and like if you look at the current state of Vanderbilt, that is an insane accomplishment. Had him in the top twenty five twice. Yeah. Yeah, top 25. I don't remember what this statistic was, but he made Vanderbilt a, a really good team. And in a place like that, though they have a lot of money, uh, where academic standards are so important and location, I mean, it just you know the score. It's, it's a tough place to recruit. So from that standpoint, if he puts Ryan Day at number eight and puts James Franklin in front of him, then you could say that James Franklin, who has beaten Ohio State when and won the Big Ten during the Urban Meyer era and built up another program that might be one of the five worst jobs in college football, that he has a resume that is better than what Ryan Day has done. And I think Bruce's list is based on resume. And it's like, I think I can extrapolate that based on Jimbo Fisher. He won a national championship at Florida State. Ed Orgeron just won a national championship two years ago. So when you look at these these players – uh, in this list, I mean, outside of James Franklin, Lincoln Riley, and, and Brian Kelly, every other coach on that list has won a national title somewhere in the recent past. So I think Ryan Day being in this spot with lack of resume, I think, is probably more of a compliment than it is a swipe. Like, yeah. I can totally understand this. Now, there's multiple ways that you could put this list together. It could be, like I framed it, if you could take one coach in college football and start your team around that coach, who would you pick? And I bet Bruce would probably change his answers if that were the the criteria but I think overall resume if overall resume is a main factor and main thought process in his rankings Ryan Day is accurately ranked yeah I think that's fair I think that's right and and you make a good point because I I actually wrote this down too it's like Ryan Day is has coached 25 games as the like full-time head coach of Ohio State and the fact that we're even having this conversation right now is like a huge compliment to Ryan Day top top 10 (laughs) coach in America right is a thing like and I know that Ohio State fans are programmed to thinking that they have to be best at everything but the guy's not even 45 yet he's he's taking over for yeah 41 years old um I don't know how else you could flatter him you know I I think that this is a completely rational take and I know people might say James Franklin just signed a pretty bad class last year and James Franklin's team had a bad year Ohio State takes Pennsylvania prospects out of Pennsylvania all the time and then beats oh, Penn State with those prospects and all the things that you could make a, a logical criticism against Penn State for now. But when it comes to bulk 
in bullet points on a resume. James Franklin's resume is more extensive than Ryan Day's. And I think once Ryan Day wins a national championship, he next might slide into number three and the discussion might be over. But the fact of the matter is, is that Kirby Smart uh, landed at number 10 on his list. And Kirby has probably recruited better than anybody outside of Nick Saban in the entire sport and played for a national championship three or four years ago. So, you know, things haven't gone the way that Georgia wants to go because of um, some questionable quarterback decisions. I think that Ohio State fans are very familiar with one of them. But tell me who's building a program better. I mean, that team is as talented as any team in college football. So I, I, I don't know. But I think this is fascinating. And it's like Pat Fitzgerald. Great coach. I said this on I said this on Andy Staples' show too. And he's like, we're not going down this. But if – the final discussion of how we rank coaches is based on national t- championships only. Then Nick Saban is a god. Nick Saban is a god regardless. Because if you put Nick Saban on any of these teams in the top 10 of the coaches list, he probably could win a national championship there. But the standard for winning a national championship or the standard being win a national championship isn't rational at every place. Right. And I think that you could make the case that Pat Fitzgerald has maximized Northwestern and what they are more than Alabama was maximized. Now, again, that might sound crazy that because Alabama's pretty, one. Sounds pretty crazy. I get what you're saying. I get what you're Maybe saying. Maybe not more. Yeah, Maybe yeah, more yeah. is the wrong word, but I think it's in the same general vicinity of like Northwestern can't physically be better. Like right. there's nothing that it can do to be better. And I guess winning however many championships Nick Saban won – Nothing can top that. I'm not trying to sound like Pat Fitzgerald is a better coach than Nick Saban. What I'm trying to do is compliment him to the highest possible regard because that's what he deserves. Mm-hmm. And I think that you could make the case that Pat Fitzgerald, okay, maybe outside of Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney, has done the best coaching job of anybody in college football. And maybe that's because he has an intimate knowledge of Northwestern. Maybe it's because he was born on the 50-yard line at Northwestern's field. Maybe it's because he's been given time and has unlimited time to do what he wants to do in order to make that program. But who's gotten more out of their team and their program than Pat Fitzgerald in college football? That list is if very the short. Answer is, yeah. if, that, if that list is Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney, then the point I'm trying to make is made. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. He was uh, 12th on Stu's list and 11th on Bruce's list. But I think he's – if I was making my list of top 10 coaches – um. I would think hard about putting Pat Fitzgerald in the top 10, for sure. Like, if the criteria was who would you want to build a program around, I might have those two, in the, like him and Matt Campbell, in the top seven. Yeah, I'm not sure on Matt Campbell yet, but I, I understand why people are, are high on him. Um, just to quickly... What are you unsure about? Um, I'm just not... I guess I'm not completely sold on him just yet. I don't know. Like, he's... It's odd to me that he's such a hot name. Like I don't, I don't know what he's done to become such a hot name. Because there was a time, was like when when Urban retired, it was like, oh, we're like when's Matt Campbell going to be Ohio State's head coach? It's like, what has Matt Campbell done to warrant this conversation we're having about him? I'm sure, I'm sure that we've Toledo. had this discussion. He was good I'm at sure Toledo. We, we were having this discussion about Matt Campbell on this podcast in the past when he was a candidate for Michigan, when that mythical job opening was there. But maybe you know this off the top of your head, or maybe you don't. Let me ask you: Do you know what Iowa State ranked in the team talent composite last year? I have no idea. Do you have, like, no, uh, not even a guess? I would guess, like, in the 60s, 70s? 57. And, like, they beat Oklahoma and then pushed them in the Big 12 championship game. Like, to me, that's, like, 
what else would you need from them? Does he have to win the Big Twelve for him to be? I mean, you won't like like it's yeah, the same thing yeah. I think about? he does actually. If you're gonna if you you're do? gonna if you're gonna put his name in like the Ohio, like this guy should be Ohio State's next coach, then yes, he sh- I think he should win the Big Twelve. But with Ohio State's resources, then he probably would. You know, he's three and nine, and eight talking- and five, eight and five, seven and six, and nine and three at Iowa State. Like nine and three and one the Big Twelve is really good for Iowa State. That's like that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, yeah, the other thing too is, and I, and I think I was having this discussion with somebody else, but. Coaches just aren't given time anymore. And I think when you have the right coach in place, it might take seven years for them to realize what's going on. And like no coach gets seven years. So like if a coach starts off with three and nine, three and nine, like the fact that the last season was nine and three with the talent composite at fifty seven, that tells me that A, he knows how to put together a team that has chemistry. And B, he has a keen eye. Him, him and his recruiting staff have a keen eye for talent evaluation, and they were able to get those players like Brock Purdy, perfect mm-hmm. example. Like they got, like to me, if I'm building a program, I want a person that can go out and sift through the debris and find the best guy. And it's like if you look at which coaches in college football should take the Michigan job or take the Penn State job or a big big time job, who else has done more? Like that's the thing that is kind of interesting. It's like it's a scarce. It's a scarce market. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of names out there. For sure. And like even if you look at this list, it's like which which coach would you take over Matt Campbell behind him? Kyle Whittingham, Kirk Ferentz, David Shaw, Gary Patterson, Dan Mullen, Lance Leopold, Jeff Munkin, Mario Cristobal. And actually Mario Cristobal being at nineteen, I think might be super low, but I'm also try to compare these to the recruiting rankings and I know that they don't always do that and he hasn't had great teams yet so yeah. I mean even Luke Fickle to a certain extent should probably be a little bit higher too but you know if if Jim Harbaugh is making the top 25 list with the guy that should have been potentially should have been fired then that kind of gives you an idea of how little there is to choose from I would put Matt Campbell in the uh top 10 for sure um and I will also say about Matt Campbell, he is uh, a pretty good um, example, I think, of of something that I think teams should do more, and that is hire offensive line coaches as head coaches. Doesn't happen enough. Um, when Sam Pittman got hired, I thought that was awesome. But usually, it's the quarterbacks guy, it's the offensive coordinator, whatever. Hire offensive line coaches as your head coaches. They coach the biggest position groups on the team. They have to get five guys working as one or else their team sucks. Like, I think there's a lot of things that go into coaching and being a good offensive line coach that make you a good head coach, and those guys don't get those opportunities enough. So, good for Matt Campbell. Yeah, I uh, and that is my thesis. Uh, I think that you putting him in the top ten means you are sold on him. I think he's a good coach. Like, I don't – I feel like the – sometimes the discussion about him seems just like a tad bit overboard, but – I also, when in thinking that, can not be giving enough um, credit to like what he's done at Iowa State because I don't know the history of Iowa State and like how much better it is since he's gotten there. But the Remember idea a few that months they went, ago they went nine and three and eight and one like that seems pretty impressive to me. Remember a few months ago when we were talking about I did that story about the the five programs that face the biggest recruiting challenges from a geographical standpoint, mm-hmm. like Kansas was on that list, and it's just like. I know that Iowa is Iowa's technically the Midwest, right? Yeah. But from a geographical standpoint, they've got pretty crappy geography. Like I get they've got access to to Chicago and you know, they have uh they can recruit Texas and Ohio similarly because you can kind of feel like, hey, we're in the Midwest or hey, we're in the Big Twelve and whichever way you fit in, you fit in, and I think that's a good thing. But 
You know, and this isn't an Iowa State podcast, but like I would hire that guy. Yeah, I might not hire him at Alabama, but like if we're talking about a program that needs some some rebuilding, I mean, I would. I, like that's the thing. I don't think that I think we give too much credence to wins and losses, and not enough to architecture. Well said. I think that's true. I think that and. That's what, like, make, when, that's what makes yeah. James Franklin like an interesting study for me because the build at Vanderbilt was super impressive. Like People don't do that at Vanderbilt. And then he built Penn State out of what was a pretty crappy situation after Bill – like well, Bill O'Brien took it out of like the worst situation and then James Franklin took it over from him. But then like when you th- thought that just maybe like Penn State was going to like hit this like rocket ship and start to take off a little bit, um, they beat Penn State – or they beat Ohio State. They won the Big Ten. They went through the Rose Bowl and they lost. The next year they were pretty good, played a classic game against Ohio State – Still got to New Year's Six Bowl, and then like the year after that, they were nine and four. So like I don't know. But like, what's the was... rocket ship at Penn State? One of the top five best programs in college football. Like I mean, I feel like that yeah. next step is the hardest step to take in the sport. So it's like we can give James Franklin all the crap in the world, but like, do we think Penn State should be beating Alabama? No, but I think Penn State. I think Penn State can be one of the top five programs in college football. Maybe like the top six or seven. Maybe might be more fair. I don't think they're quite that. Um, they're in I, that. They're in that range. I think they're in that range. I think he's been okay there. Like I don't think he's been. There are some people who think he's been like a disaster. I think he's been perfectly fine there. He's won sixty games there. He's had three eleven win seasons. But to go eleven and three, eleven and two, get to the New Year six back to back years, like beat Ohio State, come very close to beating him the next year, and then the next year to go nine and four, like that that little dip, um, just makes me think like a little bit less. And they won eleven games a year after that last year like was going totally off the rails when they lost their first four games. But I also find it like our first five games, but I found it a little bit impressive that they won their last four. Cause I thought he definitely could have lost that team and it appears that he didn't. So yeah. Um, no, and now they're recruiting good. back to what it should be. So I don't yeah. know if we get, he gets a COVID waiver uh, that year. I, I don't know if there's an excuse cause everybody was in the same world dealing with the same challenges, but to me, and I've said this a thousand times, I think going from the 30th best program to the 12th best program is easier than going from 9 to 4. For sure. I so agree like, if, if the if the ceiling is he can't get to the top 5, then it's just like, well, no shit. Who else? Who's going to do that? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you break into that that group of that Ohio State is luckily in is like the question that you would ask God if you got to ask him three questions on the way up to heaven. Like, I don't... What is step one to that? So, I think James Franklin has been on the cusp of doing it and might have been able to do it if you took five of the commitments that Ohio State's gotten in the last three classes out of Pennsylvania and put them on Penn State's roster, which is how they beat them the first time. Um, Like, it is absolutely possible for Penn State to win the Big Ten. They've done it. Um, I don't know now. I think the gap between Penn State and Ohio State is infinitely larger now than it was when they won the Big Ten. But if you take Julian Fleming off of Ohio State's class and put him in Penn State's class, they get a lot closer. And it just takes one or two, three players. And when they're in Pennsylvania, it should be absolutely possible to do that. Um, But I'm not going to penalize James Franklin for not being a top five program in America at Penn State. Like, that's just, like, crazy to me. Like, I I know that, like, if you – if you had to go build up another team and you had to pick between Ryan Day and James Franklin, you might pick Ryan Day right now based on everything that's happened. But Ryan Day's resume has the absence of building a program, whereas James Franklin's doesn't. That is fair. That is true. And a, and a lot of these guys – oh, I shouldn't say a lot of them, but – because Lincoln Riley's not really done it. Like Brian Kelly's done it. Um, Dabo certainly and Nick Saban have. So – yeah, he doesn't and have like, the builder like, tag on his resume. That's true. And and frankly, like he probably never will. 
<laughs> because yeah, why would he? Why would he? Why would he ever? Why would he ever go build something up again? Yeah, and it's like funny because like I don't know how you how we view Jimbo Fisher, but is Jimbo Fisher an architect? Uh, it's like architect or race car driver. Like remember that? <laughs> the, oh yeah, um, the, the fighter uh, pilot or bus driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fighter pilot. What, what would ours be? Architect or uh, homeowner? <laughs> <laughs> You didn't build the house, but you live in it. Yeah, yeah. You didn't build. Um, it. Yeah, when, when you inherit, when you inherit a ton of money, you know how to spend it. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but like Jimbo Fisher, for instance, I think is a very interesting case study too because yes, he has a national championship, and yes, those Florida State teams, uh, to borrow a move a line from Forty Year Old Virgin, were rocking shit. But like <laughs> Texas A and M is in a very challenging conference and competing in the most challenging state in the country potentially to recruit. And, like, they just had a rocket ending to the end of their 2021 class and are off to a great start in 2022. And it's like, do you believe that Jimbo Fisher could win the SEC? It's like, when, to win the SEC, you got to beat Florida, Alabama, and Georgia every year. It's just, like, such a hard proposition. And it's just like, if Jimbo Fisher were the head coach at Ohio State, would he win the Big Ten? Yeah. Yeah, he would. So it's just, like, really, really hard to decipher between inherent success based on advantages and current stature of the program that you happen to coach at and how good of a coach you really are. So, like, I'm, like, am not outraged at all by anything. I think that these are completely rational, and I think that people should read them, and you may disagree or or, or not disagree, but there's not – there's not. I mean, Bruce has tent poles, sturdy tent poles to his arguments that I could come 100% get behind. Yep. He does. And and he made and he makes the point that Ryan Day will continue to climb the list if if he is who we think he is. So yeah, like in six years right of Ohio State yeah. still going to the national championship every other year or every year. I mean, he's going to be number three. Yeah, but it takes time. You don't just like arrive at being the best. And I know there's an obsession of best, best, best. I got news for you guys: they're not the best right now, and there are certainly position groups on the roster that aren't the best, and their head coach is not the best. Could it be one day? Absolutely. This team is most is built. 100% to compete at that level, and I believe they will. And it's possible, literally possible, they could win the national championship in nine months. But until that stuff happens, you can't put the cart before the horse. All right. That was a lot of discussion uh, about some things that weren't Ohio State related. So if you're still listening to us, we appreciate it. Let's. Uh... No, it's all college football. I think that's completely fair. No, I think In the offseason in March, to talk about all the coaches in college football and put them into context – I think is an awesome discussion. No, I think, I think, I think it's good. Hour. I think it's good discussion for sure. Um, and if you're not listening, then we don't miss you. I, th- <laughs> I, think, I think Ohio <laughs> They're State gone. Fans, they can't hear it. I think Ohio State fans might also want to hear about what's going on um, in spring practice as the team is now as at 12.03 on Wednesday's record is done with three spring practices. We have talked with Ryan Day a couple of times, Kerry Combs, Kevin Wilson. Um, running backs were on Tuesday. Linebackers are coming up later this week. So we're learning a little bit. And I want to know. Well, let's do it this way, Ari. Since I've been on these calls, I've been writing some stuff. What do you want to know about what I've learned about these Buckeyes through spring ball? Has Trevion Henderson been named the starting running back yet? He is not. No, I will. The, the uh, <laughs> I was not expecting Tony Alford to get on the call and say that we have a starter named Trevion Henderson. But uh, no, they, that was. I mean, it's what you expect. They didn't want to tip their hand in any way whatsoever with the running backs. Um, so I didn't. I didn't find. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I've spent uh, ten years on those calls, and sorry, my blind dog is barking. But uh, you know, day three, it's just like everybody's great, and we're trying to figure it out, right? 
Yeah, for the most part, I, I, there was nothing particularly rev- revelatory with the running back discussion. Um, I also was listening to it when I was driving. I I wasn't an active participant in that conversation, so I'm not going to trash it too much. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I do think we've learned. We've learned a couple things that make me feel a little mm, better. I think about the direction of the defense, um, mostly from Kerry Combs, a little bit from Ryan Day, and that is like Lathan. People can't stop talking about Lathan Ransom, um, and I think he's going to start in that position that Sean Wade played in 2019, that Marcus Williamson played uh, last year, and in my opinion, like he's the perfect kind of guy for that spot. He's like a, he's more of a safety than he is a corner, but he can hold up a man covered. He's a bigger guy. He's a physical player. He tackles pretty well. He's not afraid to play down to the line, help and run support. Like I think that's exactly who you need in that spot. And they didn't have that last year. And the other guy who I've talked about a lot, who I, maybe I'm too high on, is Craig Young, who Ryan Day said is doing some safety stuff. I would have assumed he's the starting Sam linebacker coming into this year. And it sounds like maybe they're looking at him as a guy who has the skill set, albeit with a different kind of body type, to do some of the stuff that Pete Werner was doing in 2019, which, again, they didn't do last year. They just played basically a regular um, traditional kind of Sam linebacker in Baron Browning, who, who held up pretty well in coverage, but but is just not that type of hybrid guy we're talking about. Um, I think Craig Young is that kind of guy. Um based off some stuff we knew about him when he was recruited, his athletic ability, his body. Uh, so if you are addressing those two spots with those two kind of players, I think that's a really good step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm in a situation, too, where it's like you want to focus on the things that are the biggest priorities for Ohio State to fix, and those two things are. And I guess you can maybe lump in running back, but I just become a slave to the uh, – Excitement of offensive skill position for players. sure, but yeah. the, but those things are more important. I think you can make an argument than than the running back because they'll get the production that they're going to get, and you know they have guys on their team that I think are more than capable of helping them win the Big Ten. Whether they can win a national championship with that running back is another discussion. But all of a sudden, Trey Sermon jumped out of nowhere and became Eddie George the last year. So like I think that running back uh, development and emergence is probably much easier than solidifying an outside corner or a safety or even an outside linebacker. Yeah, I, I mean, I am of the mindset, and maybe I could come off looking like an idiot for this, but the the biggest conversation is, like, who's going to be the starting quarterback, right? And I think running back is an interesting conversation. But at the end, I just think they're going to be good. Whoever's there is going to be good. They're going to be fine. Um, and maybe that's crazy to say because whoever's starting the quarterback will be someone who's never thrown a, game, a pass in a game before. But I just think they're going to be good. They're going to, they have three good guys competing for the job. Whoever wins is going to be a fine starting quarterback. They're going to win the Big Ten. The offense is going to be good. Um, I want to know whether or not their defense is going to be good enough to win a national championship or compete for a national championship. So like that's like really the only thing I'm like super interested in this spring, which maybe is not the most interesting thing to write about. But I also think it's the most important football question facing this team is like, what the hell are you doing on your defense? Because last year sucked. What is the one thing that you could hear on the call? Because I know that seeing things is kind of limited right now. What's the one thing that you could hear on the call or that you could read between the lines on where you could say, hmm, 
I really think that Ohio State's defense seems to understand what the deficiencies were last year, and they have the personnel to, to fix it, and this is the person that's going to do it. Like, did you mention that already? Is that like, no. is Lathan Ransom the answer to that question? What are you wanting to hear? Uh, I'm wanting to hear some more stuff about these corners. Like, like, like Lathan Ransom, I don't lump into that group. He's the. Kerry Combs called it the cover safety, like we've called it the slot corner in the past, but that's not really a cornerback position. Uh, I'm talking about the guys on the outside. And and Seven Banks is back, and like Cam Brown is getting his way back from his injury. But I, I want to hear more about like Legend Cavazos and Ryan Watts. Um, maybe Denzel Burke, who Ryan Day said had an interception on the first day of spring practice that kind of caught his eye. Like I want to know if there are young guys at cornerback who can significantly improve the quality of that position this year because last year it just wasn't good enough. And that includes Seven Banks taking a step forward, I, I think, too. But if if – it's hard because, like, everything you hear, like you said in the spring, is like, everyone's great. We're going to be awesome. Ohio State's going to go undefeated because, like, that's what spring is about. And it's it sucks that we can't get, get to watch things. Um, but I would I would like to hear more about where these corners are. Like, I tried to ask Ryan Day, and maybe I asked it poorly because his answer wasn't that great. We'll get Matt Barnes later in, in spring practice. I think talking to the receivers about that stuff could be interesting. Um, like Ryan, the, like Ryan Watts is six three, two hundred five pounds. Like that's a massive cornerback. Like he's he's kind of a physical specimen. Like is that guy ready to take a step forward and be like a lockdown man, the man corner? Because that's the kind of guy they need on this team. They didn't have him last year. So until I hear stuff like that, I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, here we go. Ohio State's ready to turn this around. But the fact that they're using some guys like Lathan Ransom and Craig Young in positions that I think significantly need to be improved and have like different type of skill sets there, I think is, is a good step. Um, and I'd also like to hear about the pass rush too, because that while it was good last year, it wasn't as good as we're accustomed to seeing at Ohio state. And that's a major part of the equation too. Like they were so good defensively in 2019 because quarterbacks had two seconds to throw the ball before Chase Young sacked them is like Zach Harrison ready to, become that kind of guy and he's a guy like ryan day brought zach harrison up unprompted and that's always the thing you're kind of on alert for right like who gets mentioned without being asked about them and zach harrison was that guy on the first day of spring so and he said like he's he's felt like something's clicked for him he's ready to take that step forward and if that's true then then that really changes the complexions of things on defense so pass rush and corner i think is is a long way of me answering your question shout out shout out to uh jerry emig for getting a freshman to talk huh you mean for the running backs? Yeah, yeah. He had uh, he had Trevion Henderson and, and Evan Pryor on the call. It, it it makes me optimistic for things moving forward because I don't know in the past. Like some, I feel like sometimes in the past we haven't talked to those guys in the spring. Like we talked to them on the day they enrolled before they were in the throes of like competition, and then maybe in the spring we didn't talk to them. So we got Trevion Henderson and Evan Pryor, um, who are roommates and apparently uh, compete in everything, all the way down to cooking, which is like. A thing that everyone says, but I don't know. Somehow it got grabbed onto, and uh, it's supposed to make me feel better about Ohio State's running back position. Um, I hope we do get to talk to some some more of the young guys, like especially like I don't know Jack Sawyer would be great, who we had on this podcast and is an entertaining guy to talk to. Um, but even like, like I, I've never talked to Legend Bazos, never talked to Ryan Watts. Um, I like to to get those guys on Zoom calls too to kind of see where they're at. But yeah, it was nice to get the get the freshman on on the horn on uh, on Tuesday. I wanted to ask you something that I noticed going around. Um, do you think that it makes sense a hundred percent to not let the quarterbacks get hit in the spring when there's three of them? Is that a dumb question? I, I always thought like if there's an intense battle, you've got three options. You don't know who the option is going to be. Do you let them get 
hit to a certain extent? I'm not saying blindside sacks or something, mm-hmm. but like, do you put on like a a certain color jersey that allows more increased contact to get a better feel for these guys to to wake them up a little bit to really start that competition? Because it's not like you're in a position now where the starter gets injured, you're completely screwed. We don't know who that's going to be, and I just don't know would that. Was that surprising to you, or was it just like, of course not? No quarterback gets hit in spring ever, you dumbass. Like, wh- like, what are you? What are your thoughts on? No, that? I thought it was. Good. I think I think it would have been Dave Biddle, Biddle who asked that question. Um, I thought it was a good question because I was kind of I was wondering the same thing, and like I I, I suppose like conventional wisdom was like, yeah, like what you said, of course you wouldn't let them get hit. But on the other side of that is you have three guys who've like basically done nothing, and you won't know anything about them until you insert them in the first game in September at Minnesota. And Ryan Day has said multiple times how they want to simulate game experiences as much as possible. Well, it doesn't get any better than knowing that the guy who's rushing at you like has the option to hit you in the face if if you're holding onto the ball. So um, it's a tricky line to walk, I think. But I, I think there's a way you can do it. Um, obviously, it's not all spring. You're not live every time you drop back, but... I, I've never played quarterback, but I'd imagine it is a much different existence when you know the guys on the other side are allowed to hit you and when you know they're not allowed to hit you. So, um, yeah, and I, and I think Ryan Day believes that too. I think he maybe would like to. I think he knows that he can't, but I think he would like to. Would it be a PR nightmare? Like, could you just not do no, it? No, they're playing for football players. It's not a PR nightmare. Um, I just don't know. Like, it just like, it would be a PR like, nightmare. It would be a PR nightmare. Oh, yeah, like if one of them got like, what happened? What happened to your quarterback? Oh, he got hurt because he was live during a period. It's like, what the hell? Were, what do you mean he was live? Like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're live. <laughs> I yeah, I don't know, but like CJ Stroud's a big dude. Uh, you know, Jack Miller's had some injury issues. I don't know. Like, it's it's so easy to say like. Protect them. Don't ever allow them to get hit ever. But it's just like when they're playing in the regular season, we always say take them out early and they never do. It's like I know that's a game, but like you're still playing with fire either way. And you have the the um, luxury of depth right now. Uh, maybe the wrong person gets hurt. That's really bad for the battle. If any of them get hurt, it's really bad for the battle. And I'm not saying do it every practice, but like there should be maybe like one game where those guys are live. I think, or maybe you think, I think there if they be take too. off running, you don't tackle them. But like, if there's a sack or something, you can thump them. You know, I mean, there's got to be like a hybrid. And I know football is a game of passion, and these guys are animals on the defensive side of the ball. But like, you know, using good judgment. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. No, I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I think, I think there should be. I think it'd be perfectly reasonable for that to happen. Um, I'm just not sure it's going to. But I think that leaves an important piece of the evaluation, like off the table, and it's still not a total game situation, right? It's not. It's not. It's never going to be exactly the same thing. But that's as close as you can get to simulating a game is is making the quarterback live and him him knowing in the back of his head that he needs to get rid of the ball or else he's going to get hit by Zach Harrison. And if you don't do that, it just it's a different kind of existence. It's a it's right. a different way of processing information. It's a, it's probably a slower way of processing information. Um, and I would like to put those guys at as many opportunities as you can um, while maintaining an air of safety and responsibility uh, to learn about how these guys perform when they're really under fire. And yeah. and okay, I'm just going to no. I'm just going to rapid fire ask you questions that have things that stood out to me from the call. Hit me. How big of a deal is it that Harry Miller is not a contact participant this spring? Was this going to be an important spring for him? Yeah, I think so. Um, moving from guard to center, which is the assumption we all have. Um, the thing I don't know, and maybe we should have got clarification on, is if he can snap. He's no, he's non-contact, but if he can snap with the quarterbacks and build a rapport, that's at least something. 
But I think it's a big deal because he hasn't had um, – I forget. Like last year was his second year, right? He's yeah. this is his, he's entering his third yeah. he's entering his third this season. His third season. He's not had a spring. He wasn't an early enrollee. He like spring practice didn't exist last year. Like now he's not going to have one this year because of, of of an injury or like a real spring. So I think it's I think it's a fairly big deal. I don't think it's one that's going to like like totally stunt his development. It does put me. I was like pretty certain he was going to be the center. And now, like, if Matt Jones is available and he's able to play center and maybe he just becomes really good at it and now he's a center and Harry Miller doesn't get that opportunity, I think that could change the the, the plan there at center a little bit if Harry's not healthy this spring. I saw your tweet about Demario McCall being back. Yeah, that's the biggest surprise of the whole spring is the fact that Demario McCall stole the team. I was literally – I was they sent out – I did that. Like, they sent out a yeah. video – of like B-roll from practice and like five seconds into the video, there's the Mario McCall stretching. And I was like, holy shit, the Mario stole it. Like I, I pointed at the TV, like the Leo DiCaprio meme. It was, it was, yeah. <laughs> I could not believe it. Um, whether or not I expect him to be on the team in the fall, I guess is, is a different thing. But um, yeah, he's still around. He's still around. And Ryan, they got asked about him and, and said the thing he always says, but we're going to try to find a package for Demario. Like, all right. I'm going to try to win the lottery. <laughs> we'll see, yeah. We'll you never know. But goes. Hey, if they've got the room, they've got the room, right? Yeah, I guess so. Not really. <laughs> they have six. Um, they have six running backs and a bunch of receivers. I don't know what the Mario is going to do, but good for him. Going back to the running back position because I'm obsessed with it. But do you think that Jerry allowed the freshman to talk, which is atypical, because he knows and the team knows that these guys are people that are going to be absolutely counting on? Like, do you can you make that parallel, or do you think it's going to be a bigger trend that freshman players who might contribute talk earlier like do you do you like extrapolate hmm. anything from that i think you could i think i think you could extrapolate maybe the 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 idea that it is truly wide open uh, i like ryan day went out of his way to say that master teague is the incumbent and and tony alford was asked about it specifically and, and said kind of the same thing um and i think part of that is just deference to an older guy but i think they're trying to be real about it i think they know that that even though Masters played a lot, especially compared to everyone else in the room, this is fairly wide open. And if it's fairly wide open, why not let everyone who's involved in that being wide open talk about it? So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I didn't think like, oh, they're talking like they're going to be at the top of the depth chart. But I did think like, okay, everyone kind of here is is on kind of some kind of even footing. Steel Chambers, not moving to linebacker. Was Makes it, no sense. Ryan Day, sense. Ryan Day, Tony Alford were asked specifically if Steel Chambers is moving the linebacker, and both of them said no. Um, Surprised? Uh, not at the moment. Um, I think maybe I'd be surprised if he is a running back for Ohio State in the fall. Um, but right now, no. It's spring. I think you can give him a chance. Like he he ran well, right? In the in the carries he got last year, he just fumbled too much. Um. And if he fumbles, he's not going to get on the field. But if you look at like Mark Marcus Crowley and Master Teague and Steel Chambers, how much of a difference is there really between all three of those guys? Right. So I like one of them. I think is going to be a fairly important part of the running game. Um, I would buy more stock in in Crowley and Teague than I would in Chambers at the moment. But I don't know if something clicks for Steel Chambers and he can hold on to the ball. I think he's every bit is talented or close to it as those other two guys. Um, another corner question for you. 
uh, I know that you mentioned that you you want to hear something about Legend Cavazos and Ryan Watts, but um, and you mentioned too that you heard about Denzel Burke, but anything on Seven Banks and Cameron Brown and like how Cam Brown looks because I think you could make a case that he might be the most important player in this defense right now, like coming back in the spring for him. You know? Yeah, I mean Banks is always the first guy that gets mentioned because he's the basically the only returning starter. Cam Brown is non-contact as well for the spring and and ryan day said that the hope is that he can do some individual stuff by the end of spring so i i don't even think he's like much part of the conversation right now as he continues to come back um from his achilles injury that he suffered in the, in the penn state game last year so that's what makes it hard to evaluate corner because you know that that he i mean he's probably going to be a starting corner that'd be my guess my, my guess is a starting corner is seven banks and cameron brown and the fact that cam brown's not available creates a lot of opportunity for Legend Cavazos and Ryan Watts, but also kind of creates like an unrealistic picture of what that position is actually going to look like in the fall. Am I forgetting anything? Cam Martinez um, is like moving around. Ryan Day said he can play a few different spots, which is like we all knew that. We all know that he can play a few different spots. I think we all want to know like where where is he going to play. Um, and we don't have that just yet. And maybe we can get that when we talk with Matt Barnes. But it sounded like. They, they think Cam can play outside. He can play the slot. I think that's pretty clear. I don't know if he can play free safety. I think I'd be surprised if they, if they were giving him a look there. Um, so he's a guy I'm still wondering about. Um, I think that cover like I think that covers most of it. Like Ryan Day is not saying shit about the quarterbacks. He's just not like until we get to watch him. I don't think we're going to learn much unless unless some of their teammates are going to be more forthcoming with information about how guys look. Um, I don't think we're going to get much in the way of, of information about that position in particular this spring until we can watch it with our own two eyes. And that might not be until the spring game. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so early still. I mean, you know, there's a lot of information to come out and a lot of practices to be had. So I hope that you guys can get in and check out the spring game and, you know, Ohio stadium misses dollar B a little bit, I think. So I miss, uh, yeah, it's, it, I, I hope, I don't, I don't know what the spring game is going to look like with this new big 10 rule and the capacity with the, within the state guidelines but it would be nice to be in ohio stadium and see some people in there um because i do i do miss that like i like i think we make often make too much of the spring game but it is always one of my favorite days of the year because you go so long without being in a football game that you kind of miss it and you go in there and it kind of brings it back a little bit and then you could project like a crazy person ahead to what to what it means for the fall so i, lo- I love the spring game and it's not going to be totally normal but maybe it can look like something a little more normal than we were anticipating so i'm excited about that Cool. Anything we're an else? hour in. I don't know. I, yeah. yeah. Do we make good time here, I, I guess. We can talk about my life if you want, or we can hang up. I don't know. It's up no, to I think uh, <laughs> I think we'll spare the people talking about your life. Uh, I think we will want to get in um, some more questions uh, maybe the next time we talk, or, or, or at least before spring ball ends. So make sure you hit that email, 426AB at gmail.com is where you can submit questions. And subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash 4-6. You can sign up for $1 per month. Deal of the century, $1 per month for The Athletic. It's basically free. 4-6 to six, or at theathletic.com slash 4-6. Get you in for a dollar. Ohio State spring practice rolls on. Buckeyes will be back on the field on Friday. We'll have conversations with linebackers on Thursday. I'll have a story um, about the makeover in that position group um, over the weekend, so make sure you check that out. And some stuff coming down the – is it coming down the pike or coming down the pipe? I would never know. I think it's the pike. Okay. But stuff does come down the pipe, too. Well, whatever it is. Uh, some, some stuff does come down the pipe. So, I mean, yeah, either way, it's correct I, in my book. You know, as someone who just uh, dropped the carpet, what it costs to buy a car on their basement, I can tell you the stuff does come down the pipe. Um, 
Yeah, I'm also uh, very familiar with what it costs to buy a car <laughs> on a certain few things uh, the last few weeks. So, yeah. so uh, feel your some, pain, buddy. Some stories coming that I'm excited about as it relates to spring football. So keep it tuned in to the Athletic. Keep it tuned in to four to six with A and B, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you.